Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your hosts, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to Inside the Firm. This is your co-host, Lance Psycho, and today we have a special episode for you. It's a little different than what we usually do. The following is a presentation that we gave virtually to the North Dakota chapter of the American Institute of Architects on May 28th, 2020. Uh, As serial entrepreneurs, we have used our architecture, real estate, and construction enterprise to enhance the lives through design. And so what we do in this episode is we share how we've grown F9, um, how we've used it to strive and to empower the people that we hire. Um, and as you, as many of you know, we, we pride ourselves on developing employees and growing them into leaders to add to the fabric of professionals in architecture. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's pretty interesting because we kind of go through the whole timeline um, of, of where we started and then, you know, kind of where we landed and, and where we're headed in the future. But before we get into it, as you know, we are already months into 2020, but it's not too late to meet your goal of increasing your firm's productivity this year. ArcCat has the tools any size firm needs to compete, whether it's using ArcCat's powerful search to find product data, downloading high-quality specs, getting the right BIM for your model, or using the patented spec wizard to configure a specification in minutes. Best of all, it's free to use and requires no registration. So make sure you check out ArcCat.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T.com so you can start building better content today. And our second sponsor that I would like to mention is Dell. So head over, if you are looking to expand your uh, repertoire and your capabilities uh, with hardware, Dell is the place to go. So go to dell.com forward slash inside the firm. And if you click on the save now button, you'll be able to uh, take advantage of the special deals from Dell. From there, you'll enter your email address. They'll send you a code and then make sure when you go uh, to go order something, make sure uh, you go to dell.com and then go down to the business section. Um, so basically, if you go to dell.com forward slash inside the firm, scroll down, click on something such as uh, at the bottom. I'm at the web page right now on precision workstations. And that's where you can then you're in the business section of everything. And that's where you need to be. You can take a look. Customize what you need, enter your promo code, save some cash, and your firm will be set. And with that, without further ado, here we go into our presentation to the AIA of North Dakota, May 28th. Well, first of all, I just want to thank everybody um, on behalf of um, AIA North Dakota who is is attending here from the profession side. Um, We're very excited to have Alex and Lance um, doing this presentation um, under these unique circumstances. Um, And we we appreciate all of you who are attending and the collaboration efforts with NDSU to make this happen. So um, we are going to have the presentation and then those of you that that signed up through the AIA office will go ahead and submit some continuing education um, credits for you um, after the program is over. So um, thanks Lance and Alex and thank you Cindy for all of your work um, in helping to collaborate to make this happen. And and I wanna thank you too on behalf of both um, AI North Dakota and NDSU, this was a great mashup we thought of our all of our interests and uh, uh, we were going to welcome Lance and Alex to Fargo at the end of April to to collect a, 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 the NDSU Foundation Horizon Award for um, remarkable young career accomplishments and we couldn't have them that way so we're really glad to have you this way Lance and Alex. Awesome well th- thanks for having us uh, we appreciate this opportunity and the, the title of the presentation is Architect as Entrepreneur, Contractor, and Developer. And we're basically going to split it up into three parts and how 
uh, an architect can be an entrepreneur, how an architect can be a contractor, and then also a developer, and kind of our backstory of, of how we've, we've done that, and then maybe some tips that we've learned either, easy, either the easy way or the hard way. Um, so the first thing is, Lance and I started out, we worked for architecture firms. I worked for Studio Daniel Liebskin. Lance worked for a great firm down here in Colorado called Studio HT. They both won Young Architect of the Year. But this was back in 2007, 2008. So if you are old enough to remember what happened then, it was kind of like this recession, but without the stimulus and without jobs. <laughs> so Lance and I were talking to each other and I, I got laid off first because I was in New York. And I said, Lance, this might be coming down the pipeline. And he said, well, I know how to make BIM models in Revit. Um, and I'm gonna start doing that and then selling them on, what was the name of that? Turbo Squid, Turbo Squid. So we literally started just making furniture pieces and then selling those. So, so this is part of the architect as entrepreneur and you'll kind of see how that, how that, how we built upon that. Um, then I came down and one of our first projects that we got was a house and this house had a foundation and nothing else on it. It looked totally different than this. Um, but we started to build our architecture firm just from small additions and uh, small houses and, and built up from there. And we knew that we weren't going to get large projects with big budgets because it was a recession. So we worked on honing that template in that system so that we could create smaller projects more efficiently. Then as we grew, we uh, realized that we needed people to help us and we couldn't hire someone with three or four years experience because you know, we basically had that. So we needed someone from the university level. Um, but they weren't at least down here getting the Revit skills and training that they needed. So we just asked the university, hey, how, how can we help you out? And they said, do you want to teach there? Um, so that was another leg of the stool um, of our architecture firm is we started teaching at CU. Um, and we started teaching as if we were teaching someone, you know, to be, be on our staff. So those furniture models and the templates, we gave those over to the students so that they could work off what a, a quote unquote real architecture firm works off of. And then not only create something that des designed, but then go through and, and have that template so that they can start to create the construction drawings. Um, we then had the best students become our TAs for the next class. And then we try to hire the, the best TAs so that we can have a, a good pipeline into our firm. Um, this is actually one of the students that now works for us. Uh, but this is what he was creating in, third year, yes. third year um, architecture program, essentially. Uh, then from there, we, we took that knowledge that we kind of developed the system of training um, to be efficient, and then we, we sold it online. So that became another entrepreneurial leg in our um, arsenal that, that we did. So um, it, it's, it's the training that we use for students and uh, for our firm. Now we offer online paid uh, for, for, for professionals. Um, from there, we just we expanded. So we've done uh, cool architecture work. This is Eldorado climbing walls. Um, this is a project called East Watch. We also do a lot of bread and butter work too. Um, but that system uh, has helped us become profitable. Um, from there, we decided that, and Lance is going to go into the architecture and construction side too, and and I will and I will also. But um, we're busy, busy, and sometimes we don't get a time to talk. So we decided on Fridays we were going to talk and just record it um, and then put that up as a podcast. So now that's a fourth or fifth leg of our entrepreneurial um, kind of journey that helps hold up the firm. And besides it being an inside look of our firm of what we're doing, it started basically when we started developing a project being an architect as a developer. So we give some backstories and then it's the week by week follow through of what we're doing, what's happening. Um, it's not all based on uh, what we're developing because you know sometimes it's slow and there's lags. And other times one of your units flooded and you almost lose all of your money and everything <laughs> and your whole livelihood. So uh, there's, there's definitely highs and lows. Uh, so <laughs> architect as entrepreneur, we have the online BIM training, we have the teaching, we have the architecture and then we have the podcasting and as entrepreneur too, we also have the developer and the contractor role too, which we'll go into separately. But all of those kind of combine to us thinking of not just solely architecture. How do we branch out into these other entrepreneurial uh, ideas? And one 
One kind of side note, but I think it's important, is that we try to make our own press and we think multiple people can make our, your, your own press too. So here's an example. If you remember, it was probably a year and a half ago. Two years, actually. Two, two years ago, Amazon was going to announce where they were going to build their, their super headquarters. And it was, they needed 8 million square feet. So I quickly designed a, a, a skyscraper with some supporting buildings just to ask the question, what would 8 million square feet look like um, in Denver? Um, and, and a lot of you know how to work these programs so know how to put these in, or at least you might have people on your staff that can, can mass model quickly and put it into Google Earth. And it caught off. It uh, got into newspapers. It got uh, onto the Denver News. And it actually turned back and, and, and landed us a client because someone in Longmont saw it called us up and said, Hey, I saw your Denver, you know, skyscraper thing. Do you happen to do townhomes? And we go, we, that's literally our bread and butter is, is townhomes. It's, it's definitely not skyscrapers. It, it's townhomes. Um, but the idea is that when these interesting events happen, the public is visual, just like the majority of people are visual. So what are the ideas of, let's just say a, a, a new Super Bowl, a Super Bowl's happening and it's at probably a new stadium what would that stadium look like in Fargo, right? You could just be the graphics kind of person for these ideas that get your name out and some press can come here. And way. before Alex gets into the next slide, there's, there's two points I want to make before he gets too far deep into the entre uh, architect as entrepreneur. The reason why we consider ourselves serial entrepreneurs and, and stress having these multiple legs is because we feel like we were, when we were laid off of the firms we were laid off of, mine in particular was because they were designing just, they were only focusing on one segment and, and, and really putting out only one skill and trying to offer that to the public. And I think that's why they, why they fell apart and they had to lay us off in the end. So our idea is always to have build as many uh, stools, legs as possible. And now we actually call it like strengthening the root. So we think of it as sort of this organic, um, this organic plant business-wise that, we, that we're planting. And then there's all these different roots that we have. So if one goes away, the tree can still live, right? Um, the, the second thing is, in regards to making your own press, everybody's the press at this point, right? So everybody has, not everybody, but if you have Twitter and you're walking around your neighborhood and you find something that is noteworthy, you post it on Twitter, you're the news. Same thing with Facebook, right? So the way, the, the how we, not only did Alex put together this, this Amazon HQ2 that was timed with a, a news cycle that was looking for it, then my task was, as a social media manager at that time, was to launch it off of our Facebook platform where we used, it, we used boosted posts and then a conglomerate of friends and family to then target the news stations, Denver 7 and Fox 31, on their posts about the Amazon headquarters maybe coming to Denver. We would comment in those comment sections and get everybody to like and react to those comments from our, from our webpage or our Facebook page to bring it up in the news cycle. It was a full-scale media blitz from the ground up, grassroots, using our social media platforms to then get noticed by Denver 7 and Fox 31. The next day, Fox 31 sent a news crew up to our office, interviewed both of us, and then Denver 7 reached out to us uh, directly, and then they, they asked for the content, and we ran on the newsreel. From there, once you get into that kind of press, then, then they went into the Longmont Times Call, which is our local paper, and then that's how the developers found us who owned property down in Denver and then hired us to do their townhomes based off of this project. Yep. And I think just from the metrics um, onto our site, we had something like 80,000 views. It, it was something it was Some, large. Each, each post was getting between 50,000 and 150,000 person reach, right? Eyeball reach. So yep. um, the second idea. So this was something fun that we did. And this is what I learned from, from, from Leapskin was to do a fun project every year. And sometimes those fun projects can be competitions. Um, I find that the likelihood of us winning a competition might be, might be low just because, it, I mean, if you've seen those Guggenheim competitions, there's like, like 14,000 entrances and, and who knows how they're going get, to get picked. So we just decided that we would make our own competition. And this was 2012. So obviously the world was going to end in 2012. So we made homes that reacted to those uh, world ending situations. So one is a house that goes underground that protects against a nuclear bomb. One closes in on itself, which is the second one uh, to guard against fire. And the other one kind of shuts itself up and it has shock absorbers for, for an earthquake. And this, just this fun idea in, in 2012 has led to a lot of press. Um, 
that when we did it, there were some clients that were reaching out to us and we asked, how did you find out about us? Because a lot of times it's, you know, I did an internet search or my friend told me, but there was a couple during this time, more than a couple was, oh, we just kind of heard about you somehow. And we think it was through this, this kind of press thing. So it's just an alternative to consider than doing a competition, right? Especially if, if some people have some ideas. So this website that we produced these um, homes on is called Doomsday Dwellings. And so we, we doomsdaydwellings.com. Um, Alex and I worked together and, and built up the website and then how it actually got us into real media and then where the referrals started coming in from that real media was uh, Modern in Denver picked it up and they, they actually worked with us and did a seven page spread uh, of, in their magazine, which is, which is, if you calculate it, it was, I think at that point to get a full, a full page, it was $1,500. So you're looking at something somewhere around like $10,000 worth of media, basically just off of our time and, and our effort. Um, so you know, again, another example of how just off of the web or social media, all of a sudden you're creating your own content and people want to pick it up. Yep. And, uh, don't be afraid. Some of the ideas can be dumb. We made a website called uh, Revit Revit um, that had uh, frogs as its logo <laughs> because we, we, we thought that was funny. And uh, this actually, this website that's still up today landed us work with Disney um, because they were looking for people to do BIM stuff. So not all ideas have to be uh, the coolest ideas ever. Some of them can be more on the hilarious side. Uh, so with that, that kind of sums up the architect as developer, uh, entrepreneur, or sorry, entre entrepreneur. And so the next thing we want to talk about the topic is contract, uh, architect as, as contractor. And so for, for us, again, building another leg, building another route means it's not, it's not safe for us just only design buildings because our goal is to never lay anybody off and continue expanding and then make sure everybody's secure uh, where they're at with us as, as employees. Um, so in order to do that, again, this sort of meshes into the idea of creating your own content uh, for, for media and get, getting attention that way and then attracting clients. Uh, so uh, when one of our, one of our good friends, um, Blake Dinkins, who we graduated with at NDSU um, during the Great Recession, right after we landed that, that house that Alex already talked about, that, that duplex project, uh, the very first one that we did together once here, here in Colorado, <laughs> we were actually celebrating on the way back from, from Boulder, we went out to eat because we got that project. It was a pretty big deal for us at that time, you know, 10 years ago. And we called up Blake and, and, and said, um, hey, hey, Blake, what, what, are you, what are you up to? Are you, how are you feeling? He was all depressed. He was not happy with his job. And we said, well, how much money do you have? And he told us an amount that was worthy of, oh, you should just build a tiny house. And then uh, you, should, you should just travel around the United States. And he goes, and he laughed jokingly. So um, we, we took it pretty seriously because he was half serious. And so we bought the domain, we got home, we bought the domain name blakestinyhouse.com. And then we worked with another alumni, Sarah Schultz, uh, that graduated with us. And we started designing a, t a tiny house. And we started asking, you know, some questions that a lot of other people weren't asking, like, you know, how can you make this, can, can it be more than just a kitschy little cabin? Um, what, if, what if the wall became a floor? What if the, what if the other wall became like a, a solar shade, as you can see in, in this design, in this, this tiny house that we produced? Uh, we got so much um, online exposure from that, that TV producers started to get in, get in touch with us. And it never really manifested until, as you can see, the date on, on 2015. And, and what happened was it was getting a lot of press. So we said, hey, Blake, you should make this. And then he reminded us that he never agreed to this and we kind of just did it anyways. Um, <laughs> so it, it died for a moment until I was at the Denver home show and they said, Hey, if you're building a tiny house, um, let us know. And we're looking for someone on TV. And I said, of course we're building a tiny house. <laughs> Obviously we weren't right. Um, but they called us and they said, Hey, can you build it in a month? And I said, no. And then we finally agreed to two months and a half. So we, we got funding and, and we got it done and it was on TV and it was great as a press thing. But the, the key of why this is in architecture as contractor is because this, sometimes if you're going to be a contractor, you might have to start small on someone's project or you might have to start small on your own project. And that's the key point here is that we put our money where our mouth was and we funded this ourselves because again, Blake told us that we are making stuff up, um, but it ended up working out in the end.
Yep. So we designed, we built this and we were filmed. Um, you can actually go to season one, uh, episode 13 of tiny house, big living. If you ever want to check it out. Uh, it was pretty cool. It, it was free press too. I mean, essentially at the end, every two weeks it would air. And then because of that, and it was so successful and we, we had the, we had a construction experience and people believed in, believed in these, these tiny house structures that we were literally inventing because they were there at that point, there weren't any that could fold in and that were self-sustainable. You know, that, that one has solar panel, the previous one has solar panels on top. It collects gray water. Um, if you orient it correctly, it should, it should heat and cool itself. Uh, so, uh, a fortune, a fortune 500 company, um, got in touch with us, uh, based on, based on seeing that on television and said, Hey, we loved what you guys were doing uh, with the other tiny house. Can you build us two more? And can they have twice the amount of decks, actually three times the amount of decks, because now there's a deck on top that Alex, you can see standing on top of that in this image. And at first, uh, at first I said, no. And Alex said, well, what if we tell them this number? And then I said, sure, tell them that number. And they said, and they went for it. So then it was a scramble to build two more, but basically on, on steroids. So building experience is critical, right? And the other thing I would mention too, is that Alex, Alex was in the army in, in college and he, he did a lot of heavy machinery, excavation, uh, road building. And so he had that kind of uh, construction experience. And I had been, uh, prior to going to NDSU, worked uh, as, a, as a contractor and a subcontractor uh, since I was 13, up, up on roofs in North Dakota and then doing everything and anything in between between Minnesota, Idaho, North Dakota, and Montana, um, and just kept building on top of that. So I think that's one of the other things too, is like, it can't be stressed enough how much hands-on building experience can help you if you want to go to this multi-pronged approach. Um, the other thing, what it also allowed us to do is it allows us, as, as we are literally inventing some kinds types of new architecture, um, is it's allowed us to build precisely. And I don't think a lot of other people maybe could have taken on something like this if they weren't the architect plus the contractor and the builder. So this is an image on the left of um, this special spring-loaded uh, hinge that we have to, that we've, we've kind of had to work with these manufacturers to have, have them make them precisely how we want to. Then we have to install them very precisely um, so that the decks work and they can fold up in this architecture. I mean, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of architects get... Uh, laughed at because sometimes we'll have 16th of an inch or, you know, quarter inch uh, measurements on our drawings, but not when you're the builder, when you're the builder, you can get to that precision. Well, and then also we, why he showed this too is because there, spring hinges do exist, but no one would sell us a spring hinge because they're for, you know, someone who makes 10,000, uh, you know, vehicles. So we had to literally design and then get two manufacturers together to put this spring hinge together and then ship us these specially made spring hinges. Um, the other thing it allows you to do is if you take on the, if you go, if you head down the design build uh, in the contractor realm of things is you can raise your limits. I think you can raise the limits of what you're comfortable as an architect suggesting to another contractor, but then you're the contractor. And so it's the onus is on you to prove, you know, of making this, like what we're raising right here is, is, is a several hundred pound awning that had to go up and down and angled in a couple different ways. So the figuring out the tra trajectory of that, um, I, I really think we, you know, the only way we were able to get there and the only first people that could maybe do it in the United States because they hasn't been built again was, was us as architects, as contractors. Um, uh, piggybacking on that, like you, you can build what other people can't. Uh, one of the epiphanies to us once we finished our development that Alex will get into later was even the, even on the money side of things, um, wearing three hats then allowed us to build where we think nobody else would build. Um, and so you are really able to stretch and expand, I think, you know, what architecture and construction and building can be if you're willing to take that extra leap. Um, and then it also allows you to do some architectural acrobatics. Like in our, the building that you'll see later that we're literally sitting in right now and we're recording this and presenting this has structural acrobatics. It's got cantilevers and stuff that I think a lot of other contractors, if you weren't wearing that contractor hat, I don't think, I'm not sure that things and structures like this would get built simply because I think a lot of contractors who aren't also designing it in the front end would look at it and say, throw out an astronomical number and make it literally economically in, in, uh, infeasible to build just because it looks so complicated. Whereas if you're the designer, you already, you've already tested the thing virtually, um, especially if you're working in Revit like we do. 
Um, so it allows you to create, obviously, right? So we really created some new, a new piece of, uh, I mean, we, I, we feel like we have invented things, right? I mean, this is a new invention as far as the tiny houses go. Um, so thankfully, due to the partnership we had with, with Subaru in order to build these two, it, it, and then we were willing to take on two roles instead of just one, we were able to create something new that really uh, impacted a lot of people's lives, even if it was just for a short while when they experienced these structures. Um, and then the last thing is execution. Uh, I think that's I think that's a that's a critical one at the end to point out is that um, if, to be able to take something from conception all the way to finished product, and then it's out in the public, and execute in this way where we had to be so precise and so uh, and and just so aware of like all of the moving parts that were going in with all of these movable foldable structures. Um, I'm not sure it could have been just been done if it was your typical AOC. Um, type of type of triangle. So how do we get there? Uh, the way we get there when we take on building project products and then how that sort of came back to how we practice architecture is we model it like it's going to be built. Um, we take a lot of pride in if, if for, for all of our single family homes and a large majority of our multifamily projects even is our, our staff is trained to model it like not only model it looks like it's built, but we're going to do the structural drafting and the structural, the initial structural drafting, the initial structural modeling. Um, we've just found a new piece of software too that really allows us to get. I mean, within a, on some projects, if their the additions are small enough, I, I will stamp them or Alex will stamp them for the structural engineering because because we're able to do the calculations for a house like this, which was which is the East Wash house. We were able to get really close, but then our engineer kind of filled the gap in. And it's allowed us to save our clients money. It's allowed because there's less conflicts in the field because we're modeling so many of the moving parts, even sometimes even including the, the HVAC. But it's a lot, so construction, they save money, engineering, they save a little bit of money, and then they also save time. Um, structural engineers are in, are in short order right now. Uh, I think there's just a general industry shortage. There's not enough of them. So, so we've kind of stepped up to the plate and then it's allowed to increase our bottom line too because we're taking on more of that responsibility and, and taking that leap. I think too, it also helps. Um, it, it helps the client know that we've thought through everything. So then when we transition, when we, we built the whole model, showed them the whole model, engineered it, and that our, our team ha has worked on the engineering, the comfort level when we ask a client, Hey, would you consider us to be your contractor? It is so high that it, it's, it's almost a shoe in, right? And we only ask clients that are within probably 15 to 20 miles of us uh, to build it because we just don't want to travel that far. And then we also limit it to good clients. So everyone has clients that are just, you know, on top of it or good to work with all that. That's the clients we're looking for. And you can really weed out the, the clients that maybe are too needy, maybe have crazy ideas, maybe are a little bit sporadic or whatever you define as a good client or a bad client. Um, it's harder for a contractor to come and tell that because they haven't worked with that client for four five, eight, nine months where, where you have. Yeah. So, so then because we're modeling, like we build it, then we build it like it's modeled. And this is, so this is a, a photo of, uh, we're, we're actually sitting on, uh, we're sitting right about here. Um, so this is our, this is a, a photo of the framing that's going onto our, uh, the mezzanine uh, of our, of our office building, actually the upper floor. Sorry. We're sitting down here. Uh, this, there's some, as I mentioned before, there's, there's architectural acrobatics. I think it allows you to do more architectural and structural acrobatics. If you're taking on that extra role and understanding how everything goes together. If I could give you a virtual walkthrough right now, I would and show you how that translated over to how the stairs work in our building on the ceiling of the stairs. It actually is the roof and able to, for, for us to be able to do that kind of acrobatics and make sure that the head heights worked out and be as, as precise as possible. It really took us being architect as contractors. So I was out there every day with the framing crew acting as the GC and it was so helpful and they're so grateful that I would be able to pull up my laptop instead of, instead of traditionally the contractor's got to call the architect and then he's at the office and then they're trying to translate how the whole thing works, but I could just pull out the laptop, pull out extra dimensions if we needed them, um, and, and, and at this point, you know, for the framing of this whole thing, there really weren't any mistakes that happened. So for us to be able to do complex structures at a reasonable, uh, fee 
it, I think it's maybe one of the only ways. And if we have time in the end, we could turn the laptop around, show them the construction yeah. office. Yeah, yeah, we could. Uh, so again, build it like it's modeled. This is, this is our finished product. You can see that with, with the paneling and all of the intersecting planes and everything like that, it's, it's a very modern piece of architecture. And, but, it, but it didn't cost an arm and a leg. It was still very cost effective for us to build it, but simply because like we had, we had all these things predetermined, we tested it in the model, and then I was out there directing traffic in, in the field to make that happen. Uh, so if anybody, if anybody, I would encourage everybody to at least consider um, GCing at least one project in your life, even if it's, uh, you're just going to do your own house. So how, how do you get there to take that leap? What does it take to go from architect to then transition into also being a builder, a licensed contractor, by the way, is uh, first you need experience. So we kind of already talked about that. I had uh, a lot of experience under general contractors from the age of 13 up until we started the firm. Al had experience. And then we also had built projects that we, that we did on our own that we could show the building department. And then there were other um, uh, contractors that we worked with and developers that would vouch for us who had licenses and said, you, you performed you know, an adequate amount of construction administration. So we had to bring all of that documentation plus those references to the building department after, after I took, um, what I took was for our development, the class B licensure test. So to, if anybody doesn't know, you know, there's three different classes of it. Class C is residential. That means just any, um, not multifamily. So a single family house you can do, you can do with the class C. Uh, class B is multifamily. So, you know, triplexes and up, gotta have, a, gotta have a class B. And then you can do small tenant finishes and little commercial buildings. Like we could do a school if it's up to three stories technically. Class A, you can do anything. You can build a skyscraper, right? The beautiful thing about all those tests is I, I would say um, for, for me to be able to take the test and, and pass it, and, and I, I feel like I did, I mean, I, it, was, that was, it was much easier than the ARE to put it in perspective. And it's one test and it's open book. So yes. just know that. So all I did was for the class B, because it was not residential, because it's commercial too, is I took the 2015 um, IBC book and I read it front to back. It was a little painful, but I did it. And then it inspired Al to do it too, um, just to do it and get it out, just to get it out of the way. So then you're familiar with the whole thing. It also allowed us, like, we try to set up systems in our office. Uh, so that everybody's as efficient as possible. So while I was going through that, I tabbed and neatly made, organized our IBC book so that you could quickly go through and page stuff. So not only was it beneficial to me when I go in to take the test, is I could quickly page through and find stuff, the open book test. Then all of our, all of our staff can now do the same with all of the other books. So experience documentation plus a test, go in there and, and try to convince the, the building official that you, hey, this especially if it's your own project, I think they're going to be more sympathetic to you getting that license. And then the beautiful thing about it is, especially if you're class B, I would recommend that an architect get a class B because you can do commercial. You're going to do, I think you should, like even little tenant finishes and little buildings um, is it's the license is even more, um, the reciprocity is even better than an architect license. So I took our class B and now we're licensing up in Loveland, which is a town north of us and also, outside of Longmont, Colorado in Boulder County for the barn dominium that we're, that we're building right now, which is technically a commercial structure. And so it was just, it was just seamless. Um, as far as companies go, you absolutely want to separate the dominoes, right? So uh, with all of your little company, if no matter what kind of companies you're doing, one of the, one of the roles, that, one of the ideas is like, if you're doing a development, if you buy a new piece of property, that should be under its own LLC. Um, so what we did is we, our architecture firm is an S corp, our construction firm is an LLC, but they're completely separate insurance wise, structure wise, banking wise, banking accounts. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you really have to separate them because, and why I use the dominoes analogy is as long as they're further away from each other and then one falls, it won't, it won't have a domino effect and destroy your life. Right. So if you get sued on one of the projects, it's not going to cascade because even the tiny houses are a different company and they're, they're all one company. But if something happened there, that shouldn't affect some residential company that, that, you know, we're building their house for. Um, the second thing to note too, is because someone asked, they, they said, Oh, setting up a construction company, you know, I'm worried about the price for all the equipment that I'm going to have to buy. And many of you probably know that a lot of GCs are basically construction admin. Now we do have a, about two people 
maybe three to four depends out in the field for us doing some labors that are part of that construction company, but it doesn't have to be that way. It, it can be almost a pure administration management role. Um, you're not buying forklifts or, or anything like that. Yep, exactly. Uh, so why should you build? Um, well, I, I think it's just a good ex- life experience, number one. But to kind of recap everything, as I, I personally feel, and Alex does too in a lot of ways, is that a lot of architects do, is that we've been marginalized to where we're just the artists. We're just the, we're just the people doing fancy pictures, and we're a necessary evil. And I, I really feel like we, we as architects need to retake the master builder position and so, because we, we know the buildings better than anybody. We've thought about them for months and months and months. So why shouldn't we be building them or at least doing a lot more construction administration, right? It's going to allow you to, again, build more precisely than other, than other general contractors. So your heart will be broken a lot less when <laughs> the big details aren't missed or the little details. Uh, raise the limits of what you can do as an architect. You'll feel more comfortable in suggesting things that are maybe a little bit out of the box. Build, build what others can't. Explore those architectural acrobatics, uh, create, execute, and then you can extend your income. I think that's one of the biggest and best pieces of advice. One of our friends who's a guest on our podcast uh, inside the firm every week, his name is Nick Renard. He's an architect builder out of uh, Florida. And he, I had him on as a guest at the AIA convention last year in Las Vegas. And he says that um, you know, recessions are going to come and go. They're very cyclical. And the idea is if, you have, if you're the architect and you're thinking about taking the leap to be a builder next and you see a recession coming. I mean, you could kind of see this one coming in a sense. It depends on, depending on what your economics background was, but if you're at the point where you can then turn those projects into construction projects, you've just extended your income for a year, two years, something like that. Right. And then you're able to branch out again. That's why right now we're actually hiring somebody. I just sent an email to Cindy yesterday seeing if there's any graduates that need work because we're in a position to hire again, whereas I don't think anybody else is. There's only three job postings on AIA Colorado uh, right now. So so how much can you make? Because obviously you're not going to do this for free. Um, And how does it work for us? So Alex kind of already alluded to this too about convincing the client or asking them, tiptoeing around, however you do it, would you consider us being your builder? It has been such a seamless transition for the people we are building for now because we'll be, all of the projects get, get to a point of, for us anyway, about mid-design development, about midway through the project, everybody says, oh, I just, I love this, but I don't know, like, I just want to make sure that I can afford it. And so I've developed internally, and I was just going over this with Alex, this really slick spreadsheet now based on our building projects where we can plug in basically one number. It'll fill out the rest of the spreadsheet on a percentage basis. And Alex actually checked it against the house that he's going to build. Well, actually, I was excited to check it because I thought it was going to work and I was going to make that it wasn't that it wasn't. Yeah, I thought it was going to be terrible. Right. So uh, we put in the numbers and then I adjusted some of the numbers just slightly because I had to account for all the cost of the foundation because that's the number we put in. And you were four grand off from the number that I had from my house, yeah. which was, I mean, that's really good. Yep. So it wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. So you've already gained their trust as an architect, right? And then all of a sudden, if you can pull out numbers like that and pretty quickly and, and you, get, you get to something close um, and you genuinely like each other because you're extending this little marriage that is the contract at the end of the day. It has been, a, it is, it, it, I mean- they don't even, we don't even compete against other general contractors when we flip architecture projects into construction projects. And then they don't even balk at our 18% fee for that, which is much higher than our architecture fee. Um, because the, the other caveat that I add to it uh, when, I, when we go into pitch about being the contractor is I very clearly explain, look, I'm going to charge you 18% on top of everything for the management fee that includes our foreman um, who's going to be on site uh, most of the time besides myself or, or Alex. And you're also going to, it's going to be completely open book. Uh, you're going to know exactly what things cost. You're going to know exactly what the mark, what, what the markup is. And they have access to our server, their specific project on Dropbox. Um, and then the other thing that we do is, Alex already mentioned this, we do have a two-man crew and hopefully expanding to three soon that we do a lot of self-performing of the work. And that also reassures them too. So like on this barn that I'll show you next that we're doing, it's Barn Dominium, is the roofing company that we use for our development project. I said, hey, we're, doing, we're gonna build this next. 
can you give me a quote? I think they came in at 48,000. And we ended up, we said, no, we'll just self-perform this. And we'll still make, we'll still make what you should be making industry-wise when you do the multiplication factor of like per worker and profit and all of that. And we save that we save the client about $12,000. And, and then I'm more reassured as somebody who's done roofs their whole lives about no leaks, that sort of thing. Right? So the example that I'll show you visually next would be, uh, so our, the current build cost of this, this project we're building is, is about 556,000. Our general contractor fee, which is about 18% is about a hundred thousand. And then we're self-performing stuff like windows, doors, roofing, siding, interior finishes. And we, we're going to, so our income will be about uh, 50,000 from that. So that is $150,000 of extra income, new business, and then it catapults us to be able to hire in a, in a time like this. So th this is the project uh, that we're building. I just had Bill actually take photos this morning. Um, and and so, so you can see what we're building. Um, they're actually going to finish the roof today. Um, but we have done almost everything on this project except for foundation and framing. Um, and then we should be finishing up the siding and everything next week. It's also really good just for our architecture firm, bringing them out on site, especially the person who designed this and pointing out the problems. And then also bringing out the set of drawings and go, look, guys, we're never dimensioning like this again in relationship to say like a beam. Because when I was out here with the framers, they were missing this dimension. And so having the feedback loop like that mm -hmm. has really allowed us to, uh, to, grow, to grow. So the last segment is architecture, architect as developer. Um, and this is where we're sitting right now. If I move my mouse, if you zoom in right there, you could probably see our heads um, if that was a Harry Potter-esque <laughs> image. Uh, but essentially how this project came to be is that if you saw the first tiny house, that allowed us to get the second two tiny houses that allowed us to get a feed to place down on the land. And then this was also the image where Lance was showing you where we got built, uh, where we built and, and kind of ties in the whole, how we model an architecture transitions into contracting and transitions into being the developer. So again, for, for this project, which is our headquarters um, plus two units behind our headquarters and six units on the other side, we were the developers, the architects, and, and the contractors for this. And here's, here's the other side of that in Colorado. And here are the crucial numbers that you need to know is when you're looking for land, you need to think about, okay, what's going to be your total building costs roughly? And you need the land and the infrastructure, meaning the roads up to that land or through that land to be 18% or less of the construction costs, right? And then when you buy that land, you're going to probably have to put 20 to 30% down. You don't have to pay for the land all, you know, outright. You can find a lender that will give you a loan for that. And it will probably be a three-year balloon loan, which means you'll make payments on what, you know, the 70% of it. And in three years, it, you're not paying it off in three years through those payments. But at the end of the three years, the remaining that's left, that's um, outstanding, you have to pay. So I think for this land, uh, it was like $1,000 a month, right? And we just had to make sure that we could get through the city process, build it, and sell it in three years. When we got the construction loan, that just paid off that, right? So, you know, sometimes it takes a year and a half to get through the city. I don't know, you know, North Dakota is probably better than Colorado uh, with its site plan review. Uh, it's pretty terrible down here. Um, but it can take a while to get, to get through the city. Uh, your construction loan now? The conventional loan is going to be 75% loan to cost with, you know, three to 5% interest. And that's what you need to do. But they want to see that you have 25% of, let's say this project is $3 million. So you need 25% of that in cold, hard cash in the project. And actually that was the selling price. So like the, the, the loan to cost is probably like $2.4 million, right? We did not have that amount of money in it. So the other way you can go is a private loan. And the difference is that they did loan to value, right? So loan to value, 75% loan to value of 3 million will basically get you almost all of the construction costs, right? Where the loan to cost on a conventional will not give you all the construction costs. The problem is that they charge you an arm and a leg to do that. If it worked out in our numbers, we are able to do that. The third way to do that is to partner with an investor, right? And let's say that you needed $200,000 cash. They will probably say, great, I'm going to need 10 to 20% somewhere in there annually on that number, 
right? But that's 10 to 20% of $200,000 instead of, you know, 15% on $2.5 million. And that investor would help you then get down to that loan to cost a conventional loan. So you could make more profit by doing it that way. Uh, the only reason we couldn't do it that way is because some of our investor friends that we know, they said, oh, it, the margins were too tight on this project. And after doing everything, we realized they were right. We just, again, dived in head first and did it the hard way to begin with. Um, so those are the, the, the kind of ways to become a developer yourself. You will have to put in some money, but it's not as much money as, I, as you think that you might have to put in. Um, and if you are going to do any of this stuff, architect as entrepreneur, uh, developer or contractor, what we learned is we, we couldn't do it alone. It, it, it's not possible. We don't think for one person to wear all those multiple hats. Um, so I think you need to find someone that complements your strengths so that one plus one equals three instead of two. Um, and that's, that's, that's our presentation. That's all I have. Lance, do you have anything else? No, uh, I, I th we are absolutely open to questions. If anybody has any, any Q and a after this, I'm not sure how we, I'm not sure how we would do it. I, th I, I think, think people can unmute themselves. Hopefully. Yeah, exactly. So if anybody wants to unmute and go first, um, or chat, that would be, that would be good. Stacy, save us. Um, nice, nice presentation. Thanks. Thanks, Tam. Was that Tammy? Yep, yep, Tammy. This, this was, was great, you guys. This is Cindy and, and Mark. We actually had the, the opportunity to visit Lance and, and Al at their office, and we took a tour of the site of your project. I think it was right after you'd bought the land, mm -hmm. and it was just a bare piece of property, so it's really fun to see what you've done since then. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and just a great, great presentation. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, one thing that I say uh, hello to everybody in your office. We really enjoyed having lunch with all of those people. Oh, sure, we will. Yep. Give them our give them our best. F nine does Friday staff lunches. Is that correct, guys? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And one thing I'll just show you really quickly, Lance. If you take this mic, is this you want is, me to carry with you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So we're up in our conference room, and then down here is our construction area. So there's our large glass door that you saw in the beginning, and then we have extra you know, supplies and then tools in there, and then this is where we get deliveries of things. And then above us is the office, the third floor, where there's you know, eight, eight people right now sitting around, hopefully you know, making, making money because we aren't. When we visited you in Longmont, we also had the, the pleasure of, of heading downtown with you, and you were involved in putting up a, a structure for an outdoor event. Can you just talk a little bit about life in Longmont and, and your involvement in the community? Yeah, we um, some of the downtown people. Um, Longmont Downtown Development Authority. Yep, yep. And city council people and planners know us just because, I mean, we are the, the biggest firm in Longmont, but we're kind of active in the community. Um, and sometimes they'll ask us to make, we, we made a foldable structure that strung lights together and put strings together throughout the, the, the alleyway uh, kind of for an event and then, uh, you know, gave it to them afterwards. They paid for all the materials and then we, we you know, we, we provided the labor and all that. Um, but it was a fun, cool project. Uh, it's probably on our Facebook, our, our Facebook page. I don't know if it's on our website. Yeah, it's on our Facebook page. Um, but but there's small things like that. I think it took like two days to build or something like that. Yep. Um, but it was it was definitely part of our strategy of giving back, but giving back in an area that we are good at. I got a. This is Nate. I got a quick question. What? Uh, how's the uh, How's the COVID been affecting you guys down there? So so. Uh, business-wise. Yeah, business-wise, business uh, I'll answer that in two parts. The first part is we were already ready. We were, our staff, our staff and the way we operate and the way our, our structure is set up, it was a seamless transition for us to go remotely. And we kind of had a head start on it uh, also because we were, um, I have kids in the school district and then CU actually shut, was going to, you could tell they were, 
by the emails they were sending out and we teach there, shutting down was on the horizon. Uh, so we actually shut the firm down as far as everybody coming into the office one week before everybody else did. And so because we, because our, all of our content is on a Dropbox server, our, some of our staff already kind of do work remotely a little bit. Um, one, some people work, live in Denver and we've, we've tried to alleviate like having to drive so far, you know, 30, 40 minutes uh, every day by having them work remotely using, using Dropbox. And then they, they have their, you know, their laptops. Some of them have laptops that the firm has purchased or actually Dell, one of our sponsors of the podcast uh, gave to us as a sponsor. So, and then um, the zoom, you know, we are, we are, we were already doing online meetings with zoom. So we didn't skip a beat as far as that goes. And a lot of it also comes down to how we train everybody, like with how we, you know, a lot of our students become our, our TAs our, and then they become our employees. So they already, you know, they know exactly what we expect and how we, how we should operate and, and that sort of thing. And then business wise, it slowed down for about two or three weeks. Um, and we actually did a couple of things. Like I started offering remote consultations. So I had my friend Bill, who's actually one of our, our construction foremans, He's also a videographer. We shot a commercial. We put, we boosted it on Facebook. We did get a couple meetings out of it and a couple contracts as a result of, of that. Yep. Uh, two clients, you know, totally stopped their project. Um, inquiries were down for a while. We had enough backlog that we were just, the backlog, we had so much work that we were working through. And then now probably three weeks ago, everything has kind of come back online um, and, and we're just as busy, just as busy as ever. I think the diversity really helped too. So while we primarily do residential, for us, that doesn't mean that it's just high end. It's the whole spectrum, you know, even from like an interior remodel of people just knocking out walls. Maybe we put in one load bearing beam and a new kitchen, that sort of thing. We, we do everything in between up to high end residential and then multifamily, commercial, um, and then we're still doing building information modeling. So uh, six inch furniture has been like about a decade long client for us. And so we do all of their furniture and put it into Revit Then they put it on their website. And so that has been good. And then the construction side of things, because we started turning them into construction projects, that was just super helpful. And, and one thing that we learned that I think is a key point is after we made this development of nine units, our thought was that we then double up again and we do something that's 18 units or 30 units. But we've learned that not only through ourselves, but the other developers that we draw through, uh, draw for, that there's sort of a squeeze. Construction prices keep going up. The city keeps making more regulations and, and more things, hoops to go through. And the project length gets longer, but the the price that you can sell at isn't increasing with that same pace so that their margins are getting squeezed and over a three, four year time frame, it is too risky to do that sort of 30 unit, 20 unit, 50 unit project, at least for our cohort that's doing it. So we transitioned instead of saying, now we're going to double again and do something bigger is we can do four to six houses, individual, you know, design them in a couple months, get it through the city in a couple months and then build them in eight months and have that whole pie done. And if we do four to six of those, we will make the same profit as doing a 15 unit structure with a reduced risk. Um, so I think maybe we, in, if we are alluding to in podcasts or, or I think the notion is always go bigger, go bigger, go bigger. And, and it just wasn't working out. So we actually went, went smaller um, just because of the conditions. You guys have these amazing interdisciplinary roles and, and a lot of different um, things flying in the air between your, your teaching at CU, your podcasting, then all these interdisciplinary uh, building uh, projects. How do you stay organized and, and communicate and function in all those roles? Yeah, I think there's two steps is all of those roles are interrelated, which is great. So it's not like I'm teaching finance or something else I probably know nothing about. Um, and then the, the key to organization isn't so much in the programs that we use, because I don't know if any of them would be impressive or anything like that. Um, besides one caveat is that we basically solely use Revit. So some firms will hey, we're going to do SketchUp and then we're going to go into Revit or someone's using Rhino, someone's using AutoCAD, someone's using SketchUp, someone's using Revit. None of that exists. 
It is you're in this firm, you're using Revit, that is it. So we simplified the amount of production uh, programs that we use. The, the key that I was getting to though was in communication is that we've always made the rule that we respond within 24 hours. So whether that's uh, a city official, a client, or someone else in the firm, even if you don't know the answer, we respond in 24 hours. And that's how we reduce the feedback loop. Because the big theme is with the architecture, contractor, uh, developer, is reducing that, that feedback loop. And communication plays a, a good part in that. Anybody else? And maybe a follow-up to that question. You know, there's uh, certainly challenges as design professionals, you know, working out creative differences. Then there's the challenges as entrepreneurs working out different visions. You guys have been amazingly productive and successful over a long period of time. Um, not a whole lot of entrepreneurs are able to, to have those relationships. How have you guys been able to do that? Meaning just with the partnership? Yes. Oh, that's Ben too. Ben, is that you? That is correct. I knew it. <laughs> I, I tolerate Lance. <laughs> I think we answered this on the podcast. Um, yes, we did. We answered this uh, the episode previous to the last one. And it was because we had a spat and but we talked about it. And, and so previous, right, right before we started recording, Alex was like, how long are you, how long are you mad at me? when we fight like that. And I go, Oh, about 30 seconds. And now, and then Alex was like, well, you know, and then he's like, Oh, sometimes it's like an hour or two, but that's it. We just get it. We just, we, it happens. And, and we, we address it and then it's over with, but, but that's, that's it. Yes. Uh, solution orientation is, is also the key. Um, it, there's a crux to the problem and finding the actual problem is, is where the solution will lie. So like not going off on tangents uh, yeah. is the key. Yeah, I, I, exactly. If there's, if there's a spat about something, we're not straw manning or having a red herring about it. It's just really addressing exactly what the problem is, something like that. So, you know, the, of course there's going to be disagreements. The, the other thing too is I think we're, we're very flexible in if somebody, if somebody wants to pursue, if Alex wants to pursue, pursue something like he's doing some kind of space design stuff that I don't even know about. Uh, he already talked about the Amazon thing. He, he spearheaded that. And I, I just went with it and, and went for the ride. I wanted to, I was convinced we need to be contractors after the development. Alex, Alex was not. And now, now he's like, no, we're going to do it. Now we're going to do it. We're also going to be builders. So I, I, I think it's just both of us sort of trusting the other one um, almost unequivocally, you know, even, even if, um, like I had John McAfee on the podcast, a uh, very controversial guy, but super famous. And then uh, rather than Alex, like getting jealous about it, like, Oh, you had John McAfee every, you know, a lot of people know who that is million followers on, on Twitter. Alex went after Jim Cantrell of SpaceX. So we just, I mean, part of it is like kind of each other just organically challenging each other. Um, no matter what we're doing. And I, I would like to uh, extend a thank you to both Alex and Lance for participating and for, for putting this on for us and all of our AIA North Dakota members for being flexible um, in doing the webinar uh, today. So Cindy, thank you for your help. And if there's anything else. Thank you. We have students here. We have Casey Risky from um, uh, Miller Hall in Seattle, one of our advisory board members. Um, just a great Great bunch that um, you've, you've gathered here, Lance and Alex, with us today. So uh, we look forward to having you uh, in person. Um, I'd like everybody here to see your take on construction uh, documents, construction drawings at some point. And uh, it's just always good, always good to, uh, to hear from you. So thank you very much. This was thank great. Thank you, guys. Thank um, you. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody.